Hello, wrestling fans. Quick, Chris. Hey, that's me. Today I'm with Jeremiah Plunkett. Yellow again, everybody. Jeremiah Plunkett and Quentin Charisma, and we are smack dab along ringside, ready to go with another big week of the Territorial Wrestling Review Podcast, and it's finally over. 2020's finally over? Well, not this, not really. Almost. Okay, at the time of ta- taping this, 2020's not over. Uh, at the time of posting, 2020 will not be over, but we were, were are mere hours away from 2020 <laughs> being over. <laughs> this god-awful year in Memphis wrestling is over. (laughs) Oh, 1987 felt like 1918 through 1921. Okay. With every new year that brings hope, hope that things will get better. It's going to get better on here because... Without a doubt, we're going away from this, the doing a whole year and one promotion because <laughs> obviously that was a good idea at first until we actually did it. <laughs> it was only tell people, uh, it, you know, territory days were awesome. Um, but I think every territory had some down parts in a year, so. Somebody tells you, you know, whatever year was a banner year. It might have been a banner year, but it wasn't 12 months of a banner year. <laughs> I can tell you right now. Because, especially 87. <laughs> it had some highs, and boy, it had... I think it had more lows than highs. What do you think? You know, so I, I'm, I'm sure that some of the, the stuff in the house was great. You know what I mean? But the TVs did not reflect that. I got to admit, that's probably true because I went to, I started going to quite a few shows in 87 toward the end, maybe like summer on, and the house shows in Nashville, Tennessee were really good. So, but yeah, TV didn't, house shows might have been, might have been really good at all the, the, the cities and stuff, but the TV, yeah. So, but that's, you know, Memphis TV, it's, was the, you know, the standard, but man, whew, that's rough. I'm just glad this is the last one. Because <laughs> next, uh, next week when you listen to us, it's going to be all new format. It's just going to be basically some of the best matches, feuds, blow off matches, whatever. Uh, you know, we're going to watch them, review them. Um. Go from there. <laughs> Just something totally different. <laughs> yeah, and, and we're going to take turns. So we're going to take turns uh, deciding, you know, what match we're going to watch for the following week, and we'll announce it each episode. Um, and, and we don't go over this with each other, right? Because these are, 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 you know, matches we personally think are great. Um, Quentin and I, while a lot of our feelings on wrestling overlap, we also have vast differences. So. And we probably have vast differences to the people listening. So the goal of this is to not only educate people about wrestling, not only just to take a break from the lows and only watch the highs, because these are our personal favorites, but it's to hopefully like turn somebody on to a new new style of wrestling that maybe they weren't into. Yeah. Like I said, I, I never watched old school 80s or 70s wrestling when... 
Quentin and I started tagging. And now it's one of my favorite things in the world. Yeah. And Quentin turned me on to that. And so I'm hoping to do like he did to everybody else. And actually, you know, you kind of did the same to me because I never watched PWG or Chikara. Because I, I actually just called it Chikara. <laughs> yeah, how many times did we watch King of Trios 06? Yeah. So, I mean, so... And just die laughing. Yeah. <laughs> so, you know, you kind of changed my way of watching stuff too, you know, if it, you know, when we first started teaming up. But, you know, it just, um, you know, um, and uh, I'm going to try to find stuff that I've read about and never really got to see because there's so much stuff out there now. Um, you know, so I want it to be not only something that... You know, something that I, it's a favorite, because I've read about it in the magazines, you know, through the years growing up, that I want to watch it and see, you know, because, you know, stuff like, so, so many territories, you know, that I didn't get to see growing up, because there wasn't no YouTube, and um, that just really good stuff, and I've heard people talk about how good it was, they've watched it now since YouTube's out. Which I've really not watched a lot of stuff on YouTube. That's that's one good thing. Uh, so a lot of this stuff's gonna be new to me, and then a lot of it's gonna be stuff I have seen that's you know my top ten list and stuff like that. But anyway, so next week, JP, you're gonna go first. So let's let everybody know what what is your pick for next week gonna be. Okay, so the the match I have chosen. Um, the YouTube channel you'll want to go to is Classic Wrestling. The match takes place in Kaminsky Park in Chicago, Illinois on June 30th, 1961. I went way back in this one. Holy smokes! <laughs> I thought you were going to say like something like in the 70s when you said Kaminsky Park. Like, oh, it was one of the 70s Kaminsky shows. You went to 60s. Holy smokes! Buddy Rogers versus Pat O'Connor. Oh my gosh. This match is so fun to watch. Um, and, and I hope you think so too. Uh, it is black and white, of course. Um, we get a little intro from, uh, from Mean Gene Oakland introducing the match before they go to original commentary. The quality of this is shockingly good. Uh, so I, I think you're going to enjoy it. But yeah, 1961, Comiskey Park, two out of three falls, Nature Boy Buddy Rogers and Pat O'Connor. Is it is it full the full match or is it clipped? I believe it's the full match. They I think they cut out because, you know, there's a rest period between the yeah. falls. I believe that's cut out. And actually, that may not be now that I think about it. Uh, it's been a little while since I watched it. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it's it's 28 minutes long, so okay. it may be the full match. Cool. But nice. yeah, man, it's it, it's good stuff. All right, so folks, next week that's it. We'll be starting it off with the bang right there. Oh, and my my favorite thing is this footage. You know how you watch a lot of the old black and white footage, and it seems sped up. Yeah. If this is sped up, it's not super sped up where you could set yakety sacks to it and it looks like a comedy. Yeah, a lot of the ones from the 50s were, are like that you find them out there and yeah, it's sped up and it's got that same announcer who just buries the talent. <laughs> yeah, and just, you know, and you're, you're watching it 
know. It, it, it looks like these, you know, forty-five-year-old men are luchadors. <laughs> I um, is this for the NWA title? That I, I I'm not sure of. I'll, I'm, I'll look it up and find out. We'll do. I'll do some little research on it too. Yeah, I'm going to research on on it as well because I want to know leading into the match. Now I know in the sixties there weren't strong storylines like yeah. this. But I was going to see if there's any story going into it through the previous match and all that stuff. Yeah. So we can bring that bring that up. But yeah, I'm excited. Um, I watched. Uh, I, I was going to go ahead and watch it today, and I said, "No, I want to watch it fresh and take my notes fresh." Yeah. Yeah. Um, but uh, I did. I, I did see a little clip just from right at the beginning, and these guys are so good. Yeah. All right. So we know what we're doing next week. So everybody, um, come back next week. If we didn't run you off, if you're still here, this. <laughs> if you've made it through 1987 CWA wrestling, you deserve a medal. Yes. <laughs> uh, probably a purple heart. <laughs> and a fat check, and it and it's, it's it'll be in the mail. So just be sitting by your mailbox waiting. <laughs> checks in the mail and we're going to gift you some Oceanside property in Arizona there you go alright so back to the to, to the fun stuff <laughs> alright this is the 50th show for us so this is our last show of 2012 20 <laughs> Alright, here we go. This is the Memphis CWA TV show from December 26, 1987. Evansville, Indiana defeat. That means it was taped in Memphis on December 19, 1987. There's no show opening. It goes straight to the desk and we got Lance with a greeting with Randy Hale sitting behind him. He said he's filling in for Dave today. So, okay, real quick. 2020 strikes one more time before we're done. Um, it could have been worse. It could be Big Jack Eaton. <laughs> Thankfully, it wasn't. Um, and I like Randy Hales. He didn't. He did good. I thought because he didn't say a lot. Yes, yeah, but to say in 1987 that Randy Hales was an awkward speaker is a massive understate. Understatement. Yeah. Uh, he's he's never ever been a solid fluid talker. Yeah. But in 1987, these. God, was last week the Bill Dundee Wrestling School thing? Yeah. Oh, man. Just, it, it's just, it's it's the worst. It's so awkward. Um, but you're right, as we will see going on, because I, I wrote this right when I saw Randy Hayes. Hmm. But you're right. He, <laughs> he didn't do bad. He doesn't have a natural delivery, though. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so when I when I first saw this, I was like, "This may be worse than than Big Jackie," just because <laughs> Randy's he stutters and stammers. Which on this podcast, saying that's ridiculous, but he stutters <laughs> and stammers, and he, he doesn't have a broadcaster's voice. Yeah. You know, that's why Lance and Dave were the voices of Memphis wrestling. Yeah. Dave couldn't tell you two wrestling moves. Lance could probably get a, get a little more. But they had the voice. Yeah. And the chemistry. <laughs> oh, yeah, without a doubt. Um, but, but, you know, I'll say this. Lance and Randy have a special chemistry that's different. Yeah. Theirs is more like father and son, and it's, and it's adorable. <laughs> there, there's multiple times in this 
where you see Lance physically helping Randy through. <laughs> you know, and it's almost like Father says, especially at the end. And I'll point that out where it happens, but it's fantastic. Yeah. So, Lance Duff, uh, gives today's show's lineup. Which is weird. What, yeah, but what, what was a good idea. <laughs> uh, very much so. We've got uh, Jimmy Jack Funk there today. We'll have Jeff Jarrett taking on Hector Guerrero, the Bruce Brothers, and a lot more action. And some, he says, some interesting tapes. Man, I was like, oh, is this Lawler getting outed? Oh, oh, oh no. <laughs> Yowza. <laughs> yeah, was indeed. No, yeah, he said interesting tapes. I'm like, what are we going to watch? Yeah. Like, <laughs> did, uh, did Howard Finkel make some of his collection or something? Yeah, there you go. I put a little oh. note on here. I put, <laughs> Lawler's blood is still on the front of the desk. <laughs> I'm like, are they not going to like go clean that off or something? Yeah, give, give it a little spray with 409 and wipe it up with a paper towel. I mean... I know. how, And that desk gets moved constantly in and out of there. For the, you know, the studio, it don't sit there every, every day. So, uh, yeah. Anyway. <laughs> uh, and I do want to point out, they did it in the rundown, and they do it all throughout the show. They just keep saying the Bruise Brothers. They're really not... Uh, did they realize the blue denim Bruce Brothers was uh, was stupid? <laughs> well, they did. He did announce it one time, I think. Well, that's what I'm saying. Uh, but every other time, it was the Bruce Brothers. Yeah. So are they like, yeah, this is kind of dumb. I think so. <laughs> I, I wonder if that name was from the band. If the band came up with the name. And they're like, oh, yeah, it's it, it's great. But not really. I don't know. You know, because it, it, it's big to have, you know, a band of that caliber on your side. Yeah. So you don't want to tell them their name's terrible. Yeah. <laughs> but their name was terrible. Yeah. So we'll just mention two or three times maybe if we're lucky. <laughs> All right, so they cut the break. They come back from the break. Uh, Lance, and out comes Hector Guerrero with his guitar and singing. And um, singing Santa Claus is coming to town. He's from full gimmick. Um, <laughs> he starts to he he tells the kids there ain't no Santa Claus. Wait, he wasn't singing Santa. He was singing Feliz Navidad. Well, I'll oh, yeah, skip that part. Well, he said it when he first came out. And then he said that he's tired of he, the United States has still sold everything from Mexico. Uh, they stole Christmas, and he said this y'all. The uh, copying our songs, and then he starts singing sing, "Feliz Navidad," and um. Hey, it doesn't do it doesn't do a bad no bad job with "Feliz Navidad." No, he didn't even bad. I didn't know. <laughs> but yeah, he he stops singing that, and then he says, "Yeah, he says there's no, there ain't no Santa Claus." He said, oh, <laughs> he tells all the kids, hey, hey kids, there's no Santa." Then Lance just turns around, and walks off. <laughs> oh, I mean. Can you imagine how many letters the studio could get? Oh, gosh, that? they probably got in so much trouble. Um, so, H- Hector, I-, I told you Hector's kind of jumped the shark for me as far as his promos. Yeah. However, like, I do have, but this was, this was better than some of them have been. This has been better than last week's, definitely. Yeah, he's, he's just got too many gimmicks. Yeah. <laughs> 
it's like when you see that guy go to the ring and he's got a robe and a mask and like a kendo stick, uh, and he takes off the mask and has face paint <laughs> and blows mist. You know what I mean? It's just like he's got like three belts. <laughs> A pair of chaps for no reason that you couldn't see because of the robe and a cowboy hat. <laughs> it, it's just like it, it. It was too many things. Um, you know, if he would have stuck, if he would have stuck with either like just being the salesman or just being the singer, you know, or uh, there's something else he did. Well, I guess the salesman kind of goes into both the salsa and the hair cream. I would have liked if he stuck with one for more than two weeks. Yeah, yeah, that too. Um, but, like, we see him come out with a guitar, and my thought was, oh, he's going to start elkabonging people. Yeah, they never did. Yeah. Um, as a matter of fact, if he would have called it elkabong and yelled that when he did it, it would have been tremendous. But, like, he just, he keeps going. It's like ADD of gimmicks. Yeah. Beyond that, like, he's always entertaining, but just sometimes it's like, oh, God, it's so much. It's too much, yeah. But he always says something hilarious. Yeah. Uh, called us the United Steelers of America. Yeah, United Steelers of America. That, that, was, that was pretty funny. Uh, but I love he just grabs Lance around the neck and says, you know, you're still my favorite chicken skin. Yeah. <laughs> and when he told the kids there was no Santa Claus... <laughs> That popped me huge. That's the ultimate heel move. I was, wasn't it? I, I love being a heel, and I've been on a heel on multiple shows with Santa, and I've never done that. I'd say Christmas is canceled just about every one of them. Yeah. And I've left a Santa Claus lane, and I've been choke slammed by a Santa Claus. Yeah. The Santa Claus was six foot five, by the way. It was amazing. As soon as I saw him. It's some biker dude who's Santa uh, during the holidays. Oh, he wasn't. Y'all had to smarten him up, or yeah, he came in the back. He's like, "Oh, they, we're going off on a story about me." But he's like, "Oh, you, you guys want me to do something?" I go, "Yes, I do." You trusted him? I, I, I as a choke slam. I said, "Come up behind me. I'll turn around. Just put your hand on my neck and grab my butt." I said, "I will do the rest." <laughs> <laughs> and I jumped as high as I could for that man. <laughs> <laughs> and we're main event, and I just laid there while people left. I'm not getting up from a Santa Chuck Claus joke slam. No, no oh, you sell that to everybody who <laughs> leaves the house, yeah. Then, he, then Hector says, uh, uh, oh, Lance says, don't be knocking the way we, we celebrate Christmas. And um, then Hector says, says somebody, we celebrate Christmas in the real way, and you'll find out. And I was like, oh, that means something's happening later on the show. So I oh, like, that's what you would think. Oh, yeah. I know, yeah. That's all I was thinking. I was like, okay, he's going to come out there and uh, beat up Santa or something. So I was like, okay. There's a seed planted there. To, yeah, you'd think. That's what I put. So I, so I said, so I guess we'll find out later in the show. Okay. Then we get the first match of the day. T.J. O'Conn versus Freezer Thompson. No Mark Goline out there with him. And, and I'm very upset about that because, I, like, like I said, the first time I saw Mark Goline, I was like, this is really cheesy. And then the more I see Mark Goline, I'm like, this is the right kind of cheese. Yeah, the right kind of cheese. Okay. Um, hold on. Let me say it real fast. Jericho Hoon's referee for all of the matches as usual. Okay. 
Did you know how to spell Tejo Khan? I, I did, because I've been misspelling it, so I, I assume I've been misspelling it, so. This is how they spelt it. T-E-J-O-E. Oh, that's really wrong. Okay, and they spelled Khan. Now, I'm not the smartest guy, and you know my, and, and you personally know I'm the worst speller in the world. This, they, okay, I, I'm pretty sure they spelled Khan wrong. They spelled it K-A-H-N. So I've I've seen Khan spelled K H A N and K A H N. Okay, I've always I've, I thought it was K H A N. Okay, and that's how I've been spelling it. Um, and in fairness, the guy portraying T J Khan may not even know how to really spell it. <laughs> I'd say he probably don't. <laughs> if I was a betting man, <laughs> when, when, when did Star Trek Wrath of Khan come out? He just probably thought it was a cool name. Um, his mid eighties, wasn't it? Yeah, so maybe he's just like, oh, people can yell it. Yeah. So but yeah, it's, uh, Thomas Cassatt, the guy behind Tejo Khan. That's his name? Yeah, did not know how to spell Khan, I guarantee it. Oh, how, how do you say his last name? Uh, I'm just guessing. Oh. <laughs> but his name's Thomas Leroy K-A-S-A-T, so I'm assuming Cassatt. Leroy? I just expect his name to be Leroy. <laughs> Thomas Leroy. <laughs> that just threw me for a loop. Because I'm wondering, you look at the guy, and you're like, oh, dude. You remember last week we was talking about the um, the the place in Hickory Hollow Mall? Uh-huh. What'd you say it was called? Bizarre. Oh, yeah. I, I had said Bizarre Bizarre. I was horribly incorrect on that. That's Adrian Street's gear place. But what did we figure out what it was? What was it? Uh, it was called the World Bazaar. World Bazaar. Okay, in, up in Pigeon Forge, there I drove by it. I was going to take a picture of it and send it to you. Um, there's a place called China Bazaar. So you might want to check that out. Yeah, yeah. I'll be going up to uh, Pigeon Forge tomorrow, actually. So, yes, sir. Yeah, I, I drove by. I said, I said, hey, that's in China Bazaar. So I got to JP to check that out because um, it might be something similar, you know. Yeah. Um, Okay, we gosh, we're off track as usual. Um, so TJ Khan comes in, he goes to jump freezer, and I like this. Did you know? Do you notice what freezer did? Turned around and moved. No. What? That's what everybody else has been doing. He came right at him. Freezer came toward well, him. Well, yeah, because they locked up. Yeah, freezer didn't back that freezer. Hey, I ain't backing down no more. Yeah, everybody else has been turning. Everybody gets jumped. It seemed like on this on this TV, they turned. Oh, here they come. I better turn. And, well, Jim James tried to run that one week <laughs> from somebody. I can't remember it was. But, yeah, Freezer came at him. I was like, way to go, Freezer. But that's all he had. That was it. After <laughs> yeah, no, no offense. But he got a few kickouts, which I thought was interesting. Yeah. Um, he did some good bumps. Um, yeah, made TJ look great. All TJ did was chops and stomps. Uh Basically, all he did to him. I think he snapped married him once, I think, maybe. <laughs> yeah, he, he body slammed him once. You know, he slammed him twice. Yeah. Early in the uh, match, and then at, toward the end. Hit, hit, a, hit a pretty far uh, second rope clothesline. Yeah, he had he, yeah, he had a lunge on that. So I thought that was going to be the finish, but it wasn't. It, yeah, he, he fell victim to uh, the big Glenn. The big Glenn. <laughs> Big, big, big cane thrust to the throat. Big, big glimpse. Yeah. 
So they, yeah, he hits him with the he hits him with the clothesline off the second. I was like, okay, but then no, that ain't the finish. He picks him up, hits him with the big glen. That's funny. <laughs> Throws in the throat for the win. <laughs> well, you got to remember that the whole selling point of him has been he's a master of nerve nerve holds and nerve strikes. So it makes sense. Yeah, it does. Off that one promo that Mark Gulen cut that for some reason I remember. <laughs> hey, you remembered it, so it, it, it worked. Um, so we get some afterbirth after the after, after the uh, the pinfall. He throws Freezer out of the ring, slams it, then picks him up, runs him over, and slams him in the desk, and then he leaves. And about flips the desk. That thing has to be light. I don't think it's a, it's heavy, but not as heavy as you think it would be. Right. Yeah, it's not as heavy as you think. It it because every time somebody gets hit, slammed on, it moves. So that's why if you see somebody take a bump, they hit it and they take a bump over it. I'm to me, I'm, I'd be afraid it, when I'd go to plant, it would it, it would flip. But they take they, those guys they they take good bumps over that thing because yeah, it don't I don't think it um is heavy because it moves every time somebody just touches it. So but yeah, he but I think he at least did a little more than that. He just walked off after he slammed his head. I mean. Wasn't much there, so. Yeah, yeah, the, the whole afterbirth is just throw him to the floor, throw him into the desk, walk away. Yeah, it just, just it didn't. And he's supposed to be this uncaged madman. Yeah, no, so they had, there. at least had Calhoun come there and, and, and try to pull him off at least or something, you know? It just, I'm going to walk off now. <laughs> okay, so yeah, he leaves. Lance talks about the uh, thing they have in Memphis called the Lord of the Ring Tournament. He says a winner gets this customized ring. It says it's like a Super Bowl ring. And then they show a pic of it. It says it's worth $10,000. And it's made by, they said the name of the jewelry store. Is that the same one where they had the guy come out and inspect the... I, I, I believe it was. Okay, I figured it was. <laughs> but it was Paro Jewelers, I believe. I think that's, that's what, what it said. Yeah, I think so. I, I'm... So they must have a, that's where I guess Lawler gets his stuff from. Uh, I, I don't know if this is just a regional thing or not, and if it is, uh, excuse the reference, but he probably got it made at Johnston's for $150. <laughs> Johnston's that, is who does all the high school rings when you well, graduate. Well, I'm telling you, they probably got it done for free for announcing their name on that TV, because i tell you something, even in 87, their ratings were big time, dude. That was some. That's some advertisement money right there. Yeah. Lance also said it had six carats of diamonds and rubies. <laughs> I didn't see one ruby on the. Uh, <laughs> it was on, on the, the back side. Because that was just a mock-up. Yeah, it's on the back side of it. They put it on all, all the rubies on one side. They, you know. <laughs> but yeah, it does look like something you could get out of a, a high school. Uh, Jocelyn's gimmick. Um, yeah, the setup exactly like it. it. Had the stone in the middle and like two guys wrestling on each side and CWA. Was, okay, I try to look. Uh, you know the the the. But well, we've been saying it all year long. The quality isn't the best. Was it? That looked like amateur wrestling guys from what I could tell. Yeah, but you know on, on, on the side of belts and trophies, like usually they have amateur looking guys. You just try to avoid, you know, someone with headgear so they don't know. <laughs> That's true. Tell you, man, nowadays people got it easy. Because they just wasn't, you just couldn't just throw anything together like you do nowadays. 
You know what I'm saying? It, uh, availability, so I'm saying, you know? Oh, yeah, no, a- a- absolutely. And there's definitely, you know, there's more choices to choose from as far as designs. People can do more. Yeah. You know, because you got to think, at one point, casting a belt wasn't possible. You know, the yeah. Fez's belt was made by a jeweler. Yeah, yeah. So, you know, it, it's definitely, when, when I go to a show that has a, a terrible belt or a replica belt, I'm like, guys, you can buy, you can get a pretty good custom belt for 250 Yeah. You know, invest in yourself. Dude, I mean, even up in the 90s. Oh, in the 2000s. Uh, no, I'm talking about in the 90s, though. So, uh, from, uh, say, 80, I'm uh, say 90... Face the nineties. Say ninety eight on back. You'd really have to pay to get a custom belt. Those are really expensive. But uh you could get like trophy shop custom maids and they were costing like two fifty and three hundred in the nineties. But right around two thousands is when it really you could get, you know, a good custom made belt that didn't cost under five hundred over five hundred dollars. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, oh, but, before, but in the 90s, it, it was still expensive to get a custom-made good belt. I mean, they were, like, Jamar was charging almost 1000 you know, anywhere from 600 to $1,000. Yeah. You know, so it, it, it was just, you know, so, um, so you still saw a lot of people using trophy shop, like, homemade belts, even into the 90s, you know. So, but anyway, getting back to that, I think they probably switched, um, to get their name put on Memphis TV, um, even in 87, the ratings were still just crazy. So I wouldn't be surprised if they just, because they, you know, they probably, some you will mention your name on there. You know, like you said, that ring probably cost them maybe a hundred bucks for them to make it, you know, if that. Yeah. So, oh yeah. Because the guarantee is a cubic zirconia. They yeah. bake rubies if there are any rubies and. But, just in the gravy. It was a high, it was a high school class ring. Yeah, basically, yeah. So they basically got it for free for just announcing their name on on Memphis T. Put it this way, the jewelry store got the better better deal because the the advertising on Memphis TV on that TV show is outrageous. And they, even in eighty, you know, eighty seven, I keep saying, but um, yeah, you know, but like I said, a lot of stuff just wasn't flashy back in the day. Um, so yeah, they they do the thing. Talk about the ring. I mean, where did I mention? But okay. Um, and the first round match happens to be Jerry Lawler and Kurt Henning. So they go to the um, not just Kurt Henning, AWA World Heavyweight oh, Champion Kurt Henning. I'm sorry. And the belt, but the belt is not on the line in this tournament. It's a non. He's not defending his belt in this tournament. It's um, he's just wanting it because he wants that fat daddy ring, baby. That's it. <laughs> well, I tell you, you know what he wait. I tell you the reason why he wanted this tournament. Because he wanted to win it, because he heard it was worth ten, was it ten thousand? What no, ten thousand dollars. And he's like, "Man, I could win that. And then I could go pawn it and make up for the paydays that Vern's um, jipped me on." <laughs> that, was, I, I, that was more funnier in my head than it was, wasn't it? Oh no, it was. It was funny. <laughs> it was funny. But think about the. Hey, he leaves here in a little while. Think about the paydays that Zabisco was getting. Well, he's family, so, you know, who knows? <laughs> you know, and this will go go off on a different road as well, but I, I 
I do feel bad for Vern because um, listening to, and I'll reference another podcast, 83 Words with Eric Bischoff, he was talking about that around this time or whenever Bischoff was there, Vern was not only funding the AWA, but he was having to fight the state of Minnesota from taking his land. Yes. Yeah, I'll be won't realize that. So, you know, people talk about the AWA payoffs going down, and they did, but it wasn't just because AWA started doing bad. As a matter of fact, if Vern didn't have to fight this, he probably could have weathered that storm. At least for a while. Yeah, I, I mean, it, you know, he would he would have had to give up some of his control, you know, on booking and bring some exciting people in. Yeah. But, I mean, he still was a stronghold, like, in Minnesota. Well. You know, he had his areas where he still did pretty decent. Yeah, he, he could have lasted a lot longer. You know, and yeah, he could have done it to where Vince may have offered to buy it again, and he might have taken it at that point. Yeah. But he could have held out a little bit because, like I said, he had his strongholds in his areas. Yeah. And at the time, he was starting to get some talent leaving. He was getting talent from NWA that was leaving. So he was having, he had good talent in yeah. 87, 88. It just, Adonis came, was in at one point. Uh, let's see, he had the original Midnight's. I'm, I'm not sure on the years, but I'm just thinking yes. NWA talent that moved yeah. out there. Uh, Wahoo. Wahoo. Wahoo finished his career there pretty much. Yeah, Manny went there after he left Memphis. You know, he had bad company. Yeah, the Rockers went back. Yeah, so I mean, he he has good he had good talent, and yeah. like you know, probably somebody other than he and Greg booking would have been great. Yeah. Well, see, a lot of those but, guys didn't stay that long because of the payoffs. So they went on, went you know, Garvin, Ronnie Garvin was there. And yeah, he was had a little stop there because he uh, beat Greg Gagne for the uh, AWA TV title, wasn't it? I think it was maybe. Yeah, but and there was talent. It's just. Those guys left because the money was. Rich was there. Tommy Rich was there during that time period. There was talent there. Just they didn't. The booking and the money, and then they left. It would leave, you know. But yeah, yeah that but that whole. Vern couldn't cash flow a downhouse anymore. No. Yeah. Yeah, a lot of people know that. Yeah, he was fighting the state for what's it called? Eminem Domain or whatever. They were trying to take yeah, his yeah, land. Eminem Domain, yeah, yeah. Yeah. And they said he fought him for. for Several years and years. Yeah, as long as he could. But that, that's basically why he ended up like you know in a nursing home and stuff like that. Like he ended up broke. Yeah, because he had this giant palatial estate, you know, and it's like a nice house on a whole bunch of land. It's a big farm, yeah. And they took it. Yeah. Yeah, they tried to. Um, as they, uh, from my, the story I heard was he fought him for years, you know, and basically just. Drained himself dry because he was, you know, he was getting the money, still getting the money from the AWA, but the last, you know, three years, that was, that wasn't even keeping it afloat anymore because the, um, because he was all, he was trying to still run full time and basically what AWA money would run out, the, I mean, the ESPN money for AWA, the ESPN taping money they'd get, yeah, it'd run out short and he would just, he said he'd take money out of his own pocket, and yeah, finally, it just it was a lot of things that hit him all at one time. 
it's really sad because at one time that was really a, the talent that he had, you know, in the 70s and up to the early 80s. I mean, it was really good. So it's kind of sad how it all how it ended for him, you know. Yeah. Uh, but, you know, with that said, so we go come back to the Mid-South Coliseum. <laughs> uh, I just, I'm, hey, I'm just trying to say, I didn't have a good segue. I'm sorry. I was trying to think of one. I couldn't get one. Um, but, hey, it's the last show of the year. We don't care. Um, <laughs> but we get some cool footage, man. Uh, we get just about the whole match. I think yeah. we get the whole match. That's what I'm saying. It looks like it might have been the whole match. Uh, and Hennig and Jerry Lawler. And, dude, this is good. Yeah. Uh, Henning starts out, cuts, uh, hit, uh, jumps before the bell, starts the heat. Yeah, hits a little sucker punch. They're yeah. going to stand off and just bam. And just starts the heat right there. And, and Lawler's got his selling boots on. And man, when Jerry Lawler wants to, he's the absolute best. Oh, he's definitely one of the best. He's definitely one of the best at everything when he wants when he wants when he wants to. And that's the whole thing. It's when he wants to. We'll see him on TV acting a fool and being kind of lazy. But you got to think about it, though. At his age now, he's in his early 40s. So he's he. that's the reason I think why. You know? But, man, he's taking, he's taking snap bumps off shots. Oh, he's you looking know, like he's, a million dollars in there. He's rolling around. He's selling, selling everything like a million bucks. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and, and on the call, we have Lance Russell and somebody named Roger. Who is Roger? I can't remember his name. He, toward the late 80s, early 90s, he did a lot of the uh, house shows. Uh, when you say clips from Memphis, I think he did some, uh, you'd hear him on the, uh, I think some of the Louisville clips, if you saw, when they do a clip. Um, basically, it's Randy Hales used to do it with him. Right. And I think this, I noticed it was around this time period, this guy took over. I can't remember what his name was. I'd have to look it up. I should have looked it up. It, it was Roger. Well, <laughs> Roger Dodger, huh? <laughs> I, don't, I mean, I can't. I remember him being on there. I remember, remember him. But I, just, I, I, just, I, I, I usually do this on Wednesdays, and then we do this on Thursdays. Um, but I actually watched the show this afternoon, so I didn't have time to do any, like I do research. But anyway, anyway, so finally, uh, Lawler hulks up. And down comes the strap. And then we talked about Lawler selling. There goes Henning doing his textbook Henning selling and crazy bumps. <laughs> yeah, and, and the bumps. I, I will say the bumps were to a minimum. Like oh, he, yeah. you know, he, he didn't flip flop and fly in the ring, but he let Lawler work him into a corner and he's just taking multiple punches in the corner. Yeah. And he sells each one of them differently. Yeah, he, it's, I'm saying he's selling his. his it was just awesome. And then we get a ref bump. And then Lawler, uh, he grabs, uh, Henning grabs Lawler and he crotches him on the top rope. And, um, but nowadays that's nothing, you know? <laughs> that's a, it's like an opening spot nowadays. Yeah, that's a transition. Yeah. <laughs> and then Lawler, <coughs> Lawler hits him with an atomic, atomic knee drop. And, uh, man. I was a, man, he took this flawless. I, yeah. I just, oh, absolutely. He took the knee drop, took the bump, and went to the ropes and tied his head up between the second and third rope. I mean, it was like, it, man, I mean, usually you kind of see, I mean, 
You see, guys, you can tell guys are launching themselves usually. He, he the way he it, it it was it was just it was smooth, flaw, and wait, it was like wow. That was a thing of beauty watching him how he went into that. And it looked natural. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Yeah. It looked 100 percent natural. It yeah. didn't look like the guy's launching him. I mean, he just took it, turned to the side, hangman. Yeah, it was it was wow, it was crazy. So the ref goes there and gets hanging out of the ropes, and he falls down, just in just in the right place. So Lawler can hit his uh, atomic fist drop off the second for the win. And um, uh, I'm gonna go and start. My, I got notes at the end here, but I'm gonna go and start it right now. Well, they go back to the studio with Lance. Uh, this right here was the start of the the five month program with Lawler and Henning. Um, you know, it was off and on for five months and went from basically this match until Lawler won the belt in May of 88. But this is what got it started, the ring. He beats um, Henning in this match. So Henning comes back. He wants, Lawler wants a match with Henning. Uh, Henning says, no, unless you put up the ring. And then um, and they, Larry X Henning gets involved. This is in 88, later in 88. <clears throat> he beats Lawler for the ring, but Lawler steals it back, and it, you know, what I'm saying. So this is what, and eventually led to Lawler getting the belt, uh, beating Henning for the belt. But this was what started it all. Started the the long, you know, process of eventually putting the uh, the title on Lawler. So this is where it kind of really the storyline of this last, you know thing of Lawler going for the title and finally getting it. So this is where it actually started was this ring gimmick they did. So, um, which was very interesting. Because see, uh, I forgot about the tournament. I just remember Lawler had the ring and won it, you know, and then Henning come in, you know, uh, you know, won it, uh, he'd only give the match for the, if he put up the ring. All I remember that because I actually had that match on tape when he brought his dad, Larry Henning, in. Um, Something I noticed, I'm sure you noticed too, the crowd. The crowd was very bad. Yeah, it wasn't great. No. Uh, they were loud. Yeah. Oh, when he pinned it, they popped. They they popped. But the thing I know, cause like, remember I always told you that December, the houses in the territory always went down until Christmas night. And this, so this, uh, this actually match was, um, I wrote it down. It was, it was held on Monday night, um, December 14th is when this match actually was. There might have been 2,000 people there. Um, I noticed when Memphis' houses were down, you had, you, he had the ringside seats and then you had that area. It's still the, kind of like the, it's, like the mid-risers, it's not in the, the upper ring, but it's that like mid-riser area. I think they call it the lodge area or whatever. Those tickets were still high. And when the houses were down, if you ever noticed, there's hardly ever anybody in that section. It's like you have your front row regular section people, and you have your upper deck people. That middle section, it seems like there's never hardly anybody in there. And on this one, from what they haven't really, on the hard camera side, you could tell there was maybe in that one section on the hard camera side, you maybe had about 40, 50 people in that, you know. But um, it probably maybe, maybe, might have, maybe had 2,000 if they were lucky. 
in that Coliseum that night. So. Yeah, it was definitely a rough night for them. But I would say that him beating the world champion got world word of mouth. So I bet that the house is better next week. I don't know. <laughs> Who knows? <laughs> I just know one thing. But if you watch the way him and Lawler worked, you think that place was sold out. Yes, absolutely. Now, they only go like five minutes. Yeah, but still. It was a they, solid But what they minutes. did in that five minutes was top notch. You know? 100%. Yeah. All right. So, let's see. Where am I at? Okay. Um, they cut the break. They go to Lance with the first uh, Evansville rundown. It's for Wednesday night, December 30th, 1987, Evansville, Indiana, at the Evansville Coliseum. Um. He says we got Scott Hall versus uh, Bobby Jaggers with Nate the Rat. Nate the Rat comes in and plugs the match, but we have no Bobby Jaggers. He wasn't at TV last week, was he? He was not. Okay. Uh, then he talks about they're going to have a cage match with Bill Dundee versus T. Joe Con. Uh, T. Uh, T. Joe Con. Leroy. I just can't, I just, oh, it kills me. So then they go to a mate, uh, a taped interview match plug with Mark Galeen and T.J. Collin. Um, and I'm happy. Mark Galeen is on my TV. Yeah, he's he actually is doing the, on the, uh, the card gimmick thing. Um, he's not the studio, it sucks. Uh, he does a little, little one there and, um, what do you say, he's on, T.J. Collin's gonna beat you like a dog or something like that. <laughs> yeah, and he says, duh. So the way he he speaks speaks about it. First off, uh, Lance makes sure to let us know it's not just a cage. Yes, it's the big one. Big cage. It's a big cage. <laughs> yeah. And he says, you know, that I guess in their last match, Dundee did a lot of running around, but he will not escape Tijo Khan in the cage. There is no place to run. Yeah. <laughs> He said he ran all over. Tijo Khan chased him all over the Coliseum last week. <laughs> oh, man. Yeah, Lance said the big cage. Yeah, this, hey, and, that, and that thing was a monster. It was a big old cage. I'm, I'm assuming when he says the big cage, he means the hell in a cell without a top. Yeah, the one that um did the hair match in. Yeah, because that thing is probably bigger than the hell in a cell. That thing's I a mean, monster. I think it takes up more room in, inside the barricades than Helen Cell did. But yeah, because it's, it's wide. It, the outside, there's a lot more room on the outside than I think. So much room for activities. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, then, I, then he says, then we'll have uh, Jeff Jarrett taking on Hector Guerrero. And then uh, they cut back to the studio. For the second match of the day, we got Jimmy Jack Funk against David Johnson. Um... Basically, Jimmy Jack Funk, it's all heat on Johnson. Um, he picks him up drops uh, Johnson on the top rope. No hands. Did you see that? Oh, yeah. He put it, yeah. he, did not, he, not, not, he didn't grab anything. There was no hands. It was like, ooh, dude, hands, you know? David Johnson, like, like most of the job guys, has limited training. Um... He is very, I think the word I want to use is eager. Huh. Like, he won't slow down. No, he don't. They trust, he does. 
He actually gave him a little something. He gave he uh, fired up on him and tried to hit the Dundee crossbody, but there was nobody home. Funk picks him up and hits him with the Texas Twister for the win. And then he goes over to the desk, straight to the desk, and yells out, Lawler, I'm coming for you Monday night, and you're going to regret hearing the name regret the hearing the name Funk or something like that. Then walks off. Only thing I got out of it, I put some notes on here. I said, only thing I got from this match is we haven't seen David Johnson in a while. <laughs> no, and uh, he hasn't. He hasn't been bulking up. Oh no, he hasn't been. He looks about the same as he was last time he was there. Yeah, he's he's definitely skinny. Yeah. Uh, and like he he's still that that puppy with new paw with, with big paws. You know what I mean? He's still he's got so much energy. You know, actually, I think he I think he had new trunks. Because I, I don't think his trunks had David on last time he was there, did they? I don't know about last time, but he has had, because I remember commenting on he had trunks and he had a silver jacket. Yeah, he had no jacket this week. Yeah, he hadn't been on there since probably summertime. So, yeah, but he hadn't, you know, he hadn't improved. <laughs> no, not what Yeah, he does go, he, he tries to, I think yeah, it is his problem. He, um, well, in, in the past, we've seen him try to make his own comebacks. Yeah. Like not selling and to start punching the heel, and I'm like, "You're gonna die, kid." Yeah. <laughs> um. So they cut the break, and then we go to back to Lance. That was fast in between there, wasn't it? Yeah, you got a. a, a I'm not, just a match. I'm not complaining because Lord knows we went two weeks without out a card. Um, but it starts off right in the middle of Lance plugging a spot show in Lynchfield, Kentucky, and at the end, he actually get we hear the date for the spot show. And Litchfield, Lit, is it Lynch or Litchfield? Litchfield. Litchfield. So there's At no, the Grayson County High School. Yeah. Um, hey, save a dollar, save a dollar when you get your ticket in advance. Yeah, and it's, uh, and he said we'll have more more about that to come next week, I think. Because the card is actually on Thursday, January 7th, 1988. Um, we'll get the whole card down. One more time, for the last time, you ready to get the whole card? I sure will. We've got The Nightmare taking on Jimmy Jack's Buck. The Rock and Roll RPMs take on, and I want to see use their Christian names, the Blue Denim Bruise Brothers. <laughs> hey, it's a return grudge match. Ooh. <laughs> uh, we have Billy Travis taking on Manny Fernandez. A big Loser Leaves Town bout with Big Scott Hall taking on Hangman Bobby Jaggers. And a cage match, and he didn't sell the cage as good this time. Yeah, no. But a cage match with Superstar Bill Dundee and Tisho Khan. And your main event, Jeff Jarrett versus Hector Guerrero. There was no, there, there was, I, I was so shocked there was nothing on the main event. I know, I thought, I was like, okay, I was ready for him to add something to it, and it was like, okay, uh, okay, um. Like he didn't say a grudge match or anything. No, uh, uh-uh, no. Your man, that Jeff Jarrett, Hector Guerrero. Yeah. <laughs> so I was like, shouldn't they need to put that cage? I bet they switched it around, put the cage last, probably. I, I could imagine that thing has to take forever to construct. That's what I'm saying. So I figured they would put it last because they'd have to take it down. It'd take long. It would. Yeah, I'm thinking that's the last thing. <laughs> yeah, cause that. Yeah. Uh huh. Who knows. <laughs> Um, actually, you know, that thing, I remember it now, because they had a, a battle royal cage match, which 
really didn't make no sense. Beginning of the year in 88 at the fairgrounds in Asheville. Cause I had some good pictures I took of Jeff Jarrett getting slammed right in front of us in the cage. Um, and yeah, I remember it was the real big tall one. Because it took them forever to get it up. Well, they, they didn't bring, I assume they didn't bring that giant Memphis cage to Nashville though, right? Yes. Really? They had to get a step ladder. To, they had to put ladder. They had to use ladders to get it up. Yes, they brought that to Nashville. Because it was a double. It had to because it was a double layer cage, and it wasn't on the ring. It was on the outside. Because all their cages before were always on the ring, and they wasn't double They wasn't double layered, and they brought a double layer cage to Nashville. Because I remember the guy was on a big ladder trying to put the, the little L connector gimmick in the top of the, the poles in the corner of it, you know, where the corners meet. I, I can only imagine. Now, I, I understand that it's in panels, but I could only imagine what that took to put together. But here's the thing. And the transport, moreover. But here's the thing, though. Well... It had to be, surely they had, I don't think they had two of those big old cages made. They, they were going to spend the money. So it had to be it. Because I remember, because here's another thing though. Uh, when they ran in 89 in Lebanon, Tennessee, at the Armory, they had the one level cage there. But that not in Nashville, the one I took pictures of, it was, it was two levels from what I can remember. Because it went up way above the light. The the light that's over the ring was over the ring the ring light. That's that's. I'll, I'll ask Mark Gordy just to make for sure, but it, I swear because I remember they had to get the ladder out, the big ladder to get up there to put the little uh, the little like L shape not the L but the like a staple shaped gimmick they they put in the two top of the poles and hold the sections together. Yeah. At the top. And I'm pretty sure they it was on this gigantic ladder, putting them on, and it was off the ring. It wasn't up on the ring. It was like, because when he threw Jarrett out, he threw him over right in front of us, and we were and we were on second row, nineteen and twenty. So that's a good, oh my gosh, ten foot away from the ring because they used the eighteen foot ring in Nashville, and uh, I think. Call Sims was 20. At one time, I know they used a 20. So. Being interested. I tell you who would know exactly of Paul Neighbors Jr. Because his dad's the one that did the ring. and the, Held the ring in the cage and held everything around. So he would definitely know. Oh, crap. We're about to run. I just looked down. We're blinking. We're about to out of time. So we're going to uh, take a little break here. And we'll be right back, folks. Hello, wrestling fans. Quote Charisma. Hey, that's me. It's almost New Year's. It may be years by the time you listen to this. Who knows? But anyway, do yourself a little um, a little something special for the New Year's and get you a, a gift. And where you can go get that gift is at crowbarpress.com. You can get you a book, a DVD, a picture, a poster of a fabulous wrestling event from the days gone by. You know, to me, I'm not a book man. But I know somebody who loves books, and that's my good buddy, Jeremiah Plunkett. Yeah, and, I, and I've had a 
highlighted two books uh, to, to go over this week. Um, and, and like Quentin said, uh, Ring in the New Year by getting somebody the gift of knowledge. If it's a wrestling fan, uh, introduce them to something that, that they don't know about currently. Um, the two books I'm highlighting, uh, the first I will go over, we're going to take a trip to Canada. Uh, the book is Pain, Torture, and Agony by Ron Hutchinson and Scott Teal. Uh, it's the autobiography of professional wrestler Ron Hutchinson. And while in the States you may not know who he is, uh, he was a trainer of some of World Wrestling Entertainment's biggest superstars and is held as one of pro wrestling's unsung heroes. This book is a compelling inside look at the tough world of pro wrestling, but told in an informative and humorous manner. Uh you know, Ron Hutchinson takes you on a, his, an exciting four-decade journey into a, to the wild, no-holds-barred, uh, no-holds-barred, excuse me, wacky and amazing world of pro wrestling. This man trained, you know, let's see here, uh, Trish Stratus, Beth Phoenix, Gail Kim, Christian, Edge, Johnny Swinger, and Joey Legend. So, I mean, this man definitely has a pedigree and he's got a story to tell. Um, also, the second book... Uh, is Briscoe, The Life and Times of National Collegiate and World Heavyweight Wrestling Champion Jack Briscoe, by Jack Briscoe, as told by William Murdoch. Um, so this is actually the second edition of Briscoe, uh, and it includes updated information, more than 230 photos pertaining to Jack's career, and is a testament to the life and times of a great man who lived life with humility and class. Sounds like um, you got two good big, uh, books picked out there. I got a uh, cookie in my mouth right now. <laughs> I think you're going to keep talking. So I was like, I will slip a cookie in right now, but eh, maybe not. All right, folks. So go to crowballpress.com. Show Scott Till some love. Buy one book, two books, or just whatever it is. Because you will find something that you like or the wrestling fan you know would like. All right, folks. We're back. I'm still choking on this cookie here. <clears throat> That's why you got to get chewy and not crunchy. Well, they are. It's those um, uh, no-bake chocolate cookie gimmicks. Ah. But so I was trying to hurry up and eat it before you got done. So I put the whole thing in my mouth. And uh, <laughs> I can't believe you didn't say something on that one. But anyway. I was, try I was trying not to restrain myself. <clears throat> anyway. So, yeah, I was trying to hurry up and eat it before you got done. But... <clears throat> that didn't happen. So that was the card for um, 12.30.87. So we'll go back to the studio. We got Lance Randy at the desk. And, what is it? You say something? No. Oh, you say something. Okay. Out comes Nate the Rap with Keith Eric. And now it's... Nate the Rat has been there for about a month now, but he hasn't been. Keith Eric hasn't, hasn't come out with him, right? Uh, no, he has not. Okay, just making sure because you know they overlook stuff like that sometimes, and um, he's been out with Keith Roberson. Roberson, okay. Uh, so Nate the Rat gets on there, tells Lance uh, to get up that he has something to say, and th doesn't he still a Jimmy Hart line right here? The old Jimmy Hartline said the the it's the best the, the this today's the greatest day of my life. That that is a Jimmy Hartline. I I have heard Jimmy say that. He said every every Saturday on Memphis TV, 
Is it was everyone he'd come out there and say, Today's the greatest day of my life. That was the thing about it. And I think he so yeah, I think that's actually what he said. Um He said that he's he has Keith Eric out there and that Keith's uh, win loss record isn't um what was the word he used? Uh isn't real desirable or something like that. Yeah. He said he's gonna guide Keith's uh, uh Keith Eric's career. And today, and he's going to beat Scott Hall today. And then, well, uh, Scott Hall, was he already came out, didn't he, during this? Yeah, he's in the ring. I thought he was in the ring. I thought so. The memory came out. And uh, so he's up around all of a sudden, and, and then you just see uh, Nate the Rat talking. You don't see Keith Eric anymore either. Scott Hall comes out from behind, picks him up all crazy. <laughs> Picked him up just crazy way, didn't he? Yeah, I thought he was going power slam him on the desk. I <clears throat> know, and he just kind of just drops him on there, look, kind of sets him kind of like, and then he says, uh, so that's right on the desk, and Hall says something, don't he? And then he turns back yeah, around. It's not, it's not, yeah, it's, it's just something simple. It's like these people came to see wrestling yeah. not to hear some idiot talk. That's right. Then. He just high faces. Yeah, he comes around. Sorry, go ahead. Oh, I mean, that was it. He pies <laughs> the rat over the desk. Yeah, he takes the back bump over the desk. And, uh, and this whole time, I'm like, where's Keith Eric? Has <laughs> he ever talked to somebody in the crowd he knows? Somebody he works with over at the over at the gas station or something? <laughs> like, where's he at? You know? And uh, finally, after Hall goes back to the ring, then he runs over and <laughs> then he comes over to help Nate up. Nate tells him to get the ring and go beat him up or whatever. So third match of the day, we got, I put Scott Halls. <laughs> I put an S on his name. Scott Hall versus Keith Eric. Keith Eric, he um hits the ring and just starts wailing. I was like, wow. He starts just wailing on Hall, giving him gut shots. <laughs> Hall's just sitting there, no selling him. Yeah, tremendous comedy spot. No sell. <laughs> and, and Dude, Keith Eric's pretty good. And he starts hitting slower and looking up and realizing his punches have no effect. And then Scott Hall just drop kicks the crap out of him. Yeah, he does a standing drop kick. It's drills. <laughs> and it's followed by a clothesline that took Eric's head off. Yeah, he ain't put his hands up. Did you see he put his hands up? I would have too. I, oh, I ain't, oh, I'm not, trust me, I'm not knocking him for it. I was, he was trying to save us. So, yeah, if he would have put his, was yeah, if he would have put his hands up, man, that would have been bad. That would have been the finish is what it would have been. <laughs> yeah, we call that the finish around here. Yeah, ain't that the truth. Gosh. Yeah, he drilled him, man. Yeah, <laughs> I don't know said, he, if it wasn't for Eric's Keith Eric putting his hands up, he would have no face right now. <laughs> uh, he does a few more moves and then hits him, hits the running bulldog for the win. Uh, the whole time, the whole match, Nate the Rat was yelling the whole time, wasn't he? Yeah, just losing his mind. Yeah. Um, so this is my first. I, I remember seeing the name Nate the Rat, but this is like my first time. Like seeing him up close and hearing him talk, uh, his voice ruins it for me. <laughs> with the name Nate the Rat, you think like a mobster. Yeah. And the fact that he's dressed like Tony Clifton kind of helps that. <laughs> you get that reference? 
No, but I'm sure... No, Tony, Tony Clifton was... Uh, I'm sure it's from a, uh, a mob yeah, movie. No, he was Andy Kaufman's uh, alter ego. Oh, was it? Yeah, he wore the, the tuxedo and the frilly shirt. Okay. I thought it might have been somebody from like the movie Goodfellas or one of those... <laughs> no. Um, but, man, I don't know. It's just hearing him sound like a guy from Boonville, Mississippi... Took it. I, I, I don't know. Maybe I built it up in my own head, but like, I expected him to like try to have a New York accent or something to go with his look. But like, <laughs> I can't get over Boonville, Mississippi. <laughs> oh, I'm I don't my even know who to compare him to. I mean, he might even be country of Bill Hickerson. At least you look at Phil Higgerson and you expect that voice to come out. Now, it's any it's any manager on the indie scene that says he's from a different country. Oh, that that's the best. <laughs> some, some old brother doing a sheet gimmick. And he's like, Allah Akbar. <laughs> or or you'll get you'll get this one, uh, a guy doing a Nazi gimmick. From it must be very southern Germany. Maybe he doesn't that. even say he doesn't even say Sig Hail right. He's from the borough part of he was from the borough part of Germany. Yeah, yeah, the borough. <laughs> oh man. Okay, I can't catch my breath. Be too tickled all this one, dude. Uh, well, so, sorry for the inside Barney Brown reference. But... <laughs> you just, we're not talking bad about the dead. I love Barney Brown. I'm not talking bad about him, but he, he, he did a Nazi gimmick and had the most redneck accent ever. Yeah. I'm not talking bad about him. It was just funny. Yeah. I laughed every time he went out. <laughs> I thought it was hilarious. And I legit told him one night, I'm like, hey, that's not, you're saying Sig, like, it's pronounced Sig Heil. He's like, no, it's not. I'm like, all right, whatever. <laughs> did, when Buzzy was doing it with me, did Buzzy ever talk? No. Buzzy was no, smart. But, but Buzz just tried not to talk. <laughs> they should have got him. he should have got a manager. They should have. Absolutely. What, that's what most people did. You, you can't speak the language or have a, you know, you get your manager. Okay, anyway, <laughs> where were we? I have no idea where we were at. <laughs> uh, we, we just we just went over the match, but you're right. Yeah, Nate did scream the entire match. Hey, that leg drop Scott Hall hit before the Bulldog. Okay, this is what I got in my notes. This is one part I, I put. Scott Hall hits a leg drop with about two foot of daylight in it. But the height he got was amazing. Oh, yeah, he got I, way I, up I there. I didn't even notice the daylight because of how I was so impressed. Well, I rewound it. I rewound it. That's why, because he got so high. I thought he was going to kill him because he jumped up. He was so high. I said, like, he's only around on his face. And when he come down, I said, oh, crap. Let me rewind that. I was like, dang. Yeah, that leg was bent like a mug on that thing. I was like, I was like, yeah, he got. He went high, but I was like, man. But I guess probably nobody else saw the daylight either, because especially in the studio, because they were looking at him going Ten feet up in the air. Hogan never dropped a leg this high. Nope. Uh. Uh-uh, no. Lord no. You know, is it me or did Scott Hall, like when he went to WCW Cup, what was he the um, Diamond Stud? Diamond Stud. 
Did he get younger? Oh, dude. Shaving the mustache and going to the five o'clock shadow. Best thing he ever did. And he looks like he's in I'm late thirties here. Yeah, no, I dude, absolutely and he also he started leaning up a little bit. I think that sort of helped him too. Uh, I don't know if that helped his youth, like his it, youthful look, but the the mustache being gone, a hundred percent. And the hair, the wavy hair, and it just yeah, slicking, slicking that back up, that down probably helped too. It just it, usually people look get older as they go. He's gotten younger looking. <laughs> you know, it seemed like because when he was Scott Hall, even when he was uh, that little run in WCW, and oh, it's an '88. 89, early 89, as Scott Hall, he, he still had, well, he had the same look, basically, so, but then, you know, what, a year later, or whatever, he come back as the Diamond Stud, it's like, is this the same guy, you know, so, yeah, that's all I got on there was, yeah, he got, he did get some massive air on that thing, cut the break, we'll come back to the studio with, uh, Jeff Jarrett's already getting in the ring, and yeah, no music or anything, that was weird, yeah, or they had it and they cut it, I don't know, out comes Hector Guerrero over to Lance. Hector says, all that Jeff Jarrett can do is throw a punch and calls Jeff Jarrett over to the desk. He comes over and he says, Mexican wrestling is better than American wrestling. And um, so Lance is just, uh, I, I, I just, I didn't write everything word for word because I'd be here all day. But, uh, and he Lance says something, and Hector grabs him. You want to wrestle me or something? Did you see that? Yeah, oh yeah, no. he's like, you want to get in there with me? Yeah, you want to get in there with me? <laughs> I started dying laughing on that. And uh, he calls for a ref, and um, he says, ask for a match. First one throws the punch, gets disqualified. So, like, Jeff, they go, they turn over the mic to Jeff's like, so the first he goes for the first one throws a punch or throws a kick. And I was like, he never said kick, did he? Yeah, and Hector even goes, I said nothing about kicks. And yeah. then he even starts going to explain it even more. Yeah, I was yeah, like, I think it annoyed Lance. He's like, now you can do a forearm. You can you can do an upper arm, which I guess is a European uppercut. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and Lance's like, all right, we get it, get in yeah. the ring. Yeah, he's like, yeah, we get, get in the ring, get in the ring. Um, so we got this the fourth match of the day, Jeff Jarrett versus Hector Guerrero. Um, Before we get into this, I want to say this was a, a pleasure. Like, this was a great way to end this year. Oh, this match right here was, I love this, man. This was, oh, I love this match. I wish it was longer, <laughs> but it was, but this, this match made up for a lot of the bad matches we've seen. This match was awesome. Uh, they trade arm drags. Hector did the Mexican just grabbed the wrist arm drag gimmick, and then Jeff did the regular American arm. Did you notice that? Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. He Hector said that that little lucha. It's I guess it's an arm drag, ain't it? I don't know. Yeah, it's it's an arm drag. Yeah, but it's really not much. It's you know. It's you basically pull the arm down if they roll. Yeah, it's not much to. Um, a lot of back and forth wrestling, man. And then he brought try to break out a um, uh, surfboard, and Jeff. Uh, leg slipped out. Did you see that? Yeah. Yeah, I was like, dang. But I, I was still like, we're seeing a Mexican surfboard in Memphis. Oh, my God. And then, what about the Hector hooked on the crossface chicken wing? Yeah, and it was deep. It was hooked deep. He like, looked he, good. He didn't do the, I, 
I love Bob Backlund, but like toward the end, Bob got lazy. With oh it, just gosh, like grabbed, yeah. Grabbed the chin and had a hammer lock. Yeah, Bob Backlund when yeah toward the end of his career it was horrible. But yeah, when he first started it years and years ago, it was really really good. But yeah, this deep, one was deep, good. Deep hook in the chicken wing, the cross face, and he, he couldn't quite get the hands grasped. But he, he had like two fingers that looked like hooked. I think yeah. he had, had like two of his fingers. It looked, for Memphis TV, that was like, why? we got a surfboard, now we got the uh, crossface. I was like, well, this is crazy. Um, he goes for a bow and arrow. He did a bow and arrow on him. And then, man, Hector took a big backdrop. Man, that was oh, nice. Massive. It was good because he just kept going back and forth. I love this. Um, and before, before we get to the finish, because I know we're almost oh, there, yeah, yeah. I, I do want to point out some things that I thought were real cute. Um, the schoolboy counter. So, Hector Schoolboy's Jeff. Um, Jeff, instead of just kicking out, gets on his shoulders and pivots around, mm -hmm. and Hector takes an arm drag bump. Yeah, that would, every, but, it was as good. Uh, this was so good. Jeff has a lying uh, hammerlock on Hector. Hector works his way to his feet, grabs the high crotch for a slam, while still in the hammerlock and backbreak or something. Yeah, yes, that looked good. And, uh, you know, you already mentioned the surfboard, you mentioned the backdrop, we mentioned the bow and arrow, but he did the bow and arrow roll through into the pin, which I'm a big fan of. Yeah, that was good. Uh, and then, you, you notice that dropkick beats everybody, but not top guys. Yeah, the the Jarrett dropkicks, he gave him two of them. Two dropkicks, and he got a foot on the rope. A foot on the rope, yeah. Yeah, yeah, he don't put nobody away. Uh, yeah, it's just the job guys with it. But, man, this was so good back and forth. I really liked it. it. But it's about, what was it, 10 minutes roughly? I think it was a little under 10. A little, not much. It was, it was, it was a little, I think it was a little under 10 minutes, I think. Not yeah, by much. It was good. I was like, man, if the show cuts off here. It, I was like, man, I really, I did, man. I liked this really good. Um, Jeff Jarrett gets Hector in the corner. Goes to punch him, asking the people. The ref tries to break it up. Hector punches Jeff. He falls. Uh, Hector puts his feet on the bottom rope for the pin. One, two, three. And, and it was tremendous the way they got into it, too. Hector slapped Jeff twice. Yeah. Jeff in. Jeff wants to punch him. Ref goes in between. That that little short jab that Hector threw yeah. looked awesome. Yeah, that, this whole match was good, man. I yeah, love this. Jeff bumped perfectly with his legs up, so Hector could hook the folding press, yep. eat on the ropes, and we're out of there. And, you know, Hector says something on the way out. Jeff complains on the way out. It was good. It was, man. I, I really enjoyed that. Um, I put on my notes, really good match. Saw things we haven't seen on Memphis TV in forever. Or ever. Or ever, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> or ever, probably. Um, man, it, gosh, that was so, that was, oh, it was so good. Just good wrestling and countering every, and just back and forth. And see, I don't mind a, a match back and forth when it's like that, when it's good. You know? It, I would just, yeah, you, you don't have to have heat to have a good match. No. They, they, they had all their heat in the finish. It's just wrestle, 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 that's wrestle. That's where you needed that. That's, yeah, that's where it was at. That's where you needed it at. It, I was so, that much, I mean, it was. I mean, I know we're just, but man, for TV and what we've been put through, we've had some good matches on TV this year. Been a few. 
But oh this, yeah, there's some, there's some really fun Southern Tag Team title matches on TV. Yeah. Yep. And th- this is the best match in my mind that we've seen on TV. I think it is too. And like, it, maybe, and, maybe not for the story. You know, it wasn't no big deep story or anything like that. There was no titles on the line, but just a match yeah. that you could enjoy and that you could legit, like, not legit get heated, but like, you see, you're like, oh, that dirty so and so, you know what I mean? That, this match was awesome. Yeah, it was really good. And um, it's definitely the best match we've seen of Jarrett so far in this year. Definitely the best match we've seen on TV. Uh, then all good things have to come to an end. <laughs> well, not all good things. You got to see the, the last time in 1987 for Jeff Jarrett, the poster. <laughs> I guess we'll even look at that way, yeah. So we get the... Um, uh, the poster ad one more time. Then I put on, on my notes. I put really good match, blah, blah, blah. And I said, you know what? One of us need to write to that address and ask if they still got any posters left and see what we get back. I'll do it. Ah, no, you're right. Seriously? You'll do I'll, it? I'll, I'll, I'll do it. I'll, I'll write to them to see if they still have it first before I send them any money. Oh, no. Don't send no money. <laughs> But if they say they still have it, I will pay them. I will get two of them, and we will both have one. <laughs> I'm just wondering who, where, what kind of business is at that address now. <laughs> that's gonna be interesting. If okay, I'm glad you. If you do it, yeah, that's awesome. If you do it, hey, and they said they have them, get us one. I'll get. I'll send you the ten. <laughs> All right. <laughs> no, like, nah, brother. It's twenty inflation. Okay. Yeah. Okay, well, I, hey, if they still got them, I'll, I'll give you a 20 for it. <laughs> um, I'm sure your wife will love that being up in your house. Hey, why not? <laughs> oh, okay, so cut the break. I go to Lance for the last Evansville card of the day. Uh, Bill Dundee comes with a match plug, and did he just, like, did they just, like, silence him and just use the exact same interview from last, his match plug from last week. So he calls him a Chinaman. Then he talks about David and Goliath again. Yeah, it's the exact same promo, different, different sweater. And that's what I put. only thing worse than this interview is that shirt he's wearing. What? It's his black and gold sweater. It had like a big leather sewed-in sash going across it or something. Yeah, that, was like, it was, that looked like leather. Like a sweater. He made some choices with his fashion. But he's he always has. I mean, his his bedazzled bell bottoms. But they were in style when he first got them in '77. Yeah, but when he wore them two weeks ago in '87, <laughs> it was a little different. Hey, he's thrifty. <laughs> but I'm just saying I, that was a that because it was a sweater. Then he had like a leather piece sewn into it. It's like. I know '80s fashion was bad, but that's even bad for '80s fashion. I think he, I think that knocked Steve Kern out of the worst dress of '87. That outfit he was wearing, that oh my gosh, that was bad. But yeah, that was the same thing. He said the same stuff. I'm like, okay, dude. <laughs> he didn't even really like word it much differently. No, he didn't. It's he the said same something wording. about it being at a cage. That was the only difference. Yeah, it was. He talked about the cage. He did that um, bit of a cage and he's won some cage matches. He's lost some cage matches but he's going to win this one. 
Yeah, that's one thing different. But the, all the other parts was the exact same thing. And I guess they started smarting him up on the Chinaman thing. <laughs> yeah, no, nope, not at all. Okay, so go back to the studio. Lance is there, and he tells Scott Hall to come out. He comes out and uh, talks, and um, ain't much to it. Yeah, this was a nothing promo. I yeah. can I can sum it up in one sentence. Scott Hall is big and easy to find. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> there you go. And then... He calls out the Bruce Brothers. The, the blue denim Bruce Brothers, sir. Oh, he did call them that, didn't he, on this this one, didn't he? No, I think he only said it once while they were in the ring at some point. Okay. Oh, well. <laughs> it was either or so many times, it's hard to keep up with which ones is what. So they come out and get an interview. Holy oh, smokes. God. I, I didn't know what to expect you about their look. What? Bright white trunks. Bright white knee pads, powder blue boots. No, those were pink. I meant, I meant pink. I'm sorry. Well, they um, went, and here's the thing: they for about a month they wore the white trunks, and then they went to baby blue trunks. They they looked like an Easter egg. Yeah. That had, that had only just got a little dye on it. So <laughs> I, guess, I guess the baby blue was when they got the rest of the dye. Yeah. Um. Yeah. So the, the blue did them. Bruce Brothers, they have no denim on. Yeah. They have no blue on. Uh, seeing the Harris Brothers, this, like, having no body at all, it, it's very strange. Um, and I, I don't mean this as, as any, uh, as any front on the Fullers, but they had that, like, young Robert Fuller body. Because, you know, Robert, like, was kind of lanky, you know what I mean? When he was younger. Oh, well, yeah. You know, he's just tall and lanky, and yeah. like he had like no definition. Yeah. You know, Robert got into weightlifting a little later. Yeah. And he got a little chest to him and all that, but like, you know, like all, all the, he had, he had like Barry Wyndham body where there's no definition yeah. anywhere. Yeah. But these guys are lankier. Yeah. Long legs and yeah. arms. Barry had the long legs but he didn't have abnormally long arms but that, this is this is DOA <laughs> you know what I mean this is the Harris boys or what was the uh, what were they called uh, what were they called up there in New York when they they almost beat up Shawn Michaels and got fired Jacob and Eli Blue oh yeah yeah they're the Blue Brothers there. yeah the Blue Brothers uh, <laughs> You know, Southern. They're, they're, I'm sorry, they weren't Southern Justice. Uh, but God, like these are okay. The fact that these are the same guys who ended up becoming like badass skinheads. Yeah. Because that's what they are. <laughs> SS tattoos. Um, <laughs> it's insane that these are the same people. Yeah. Yeah. Didn't one of them have a mustache, which is just a weird choice. And they have sandy blonde hair. They, yeah, it's it's weird. Yeah, it's for what they turned into was really. Um, and this promo is garbage. The one is pretty bad. Then the second one, I can't get on which one's which. But the first one starts talking, and then the one on the right when he starts talking, whoo man, it's really bad. He gets so lost. The other one has to take back over. <laughs> it's like, it, it's humble pie, but it's like nonchalant humble pie. Yeah. To the point where they're talking about getting hit by, 
by brass nugs by the rock and roll RPMs. And the dude's like, yeah, it was, uh, yeah, they did a little something with the brass nugs. Yeah. That was it. That's why I told you they had that first interview with nobody in the studio. And then this is why they guess they didn't want their first one to be seen, this one to be the very first one. But yeah, that was rough, man. Oof. Um, so, uh, we're going to the fifth match today. We've got the Bruise Brothers against Rough and Ready. Uh, Boss, Boss, Boss Warner stole some promo time. Yes, yes. How many votes Rough and Ready got in the Rookie of the Year voting? <laughs> oh, that was classic. That was... He, he, he stole it. They didn't get him on TV. No. He just went over there and got on that microphone. He's like, hey, if Nate the Rack can get some interview time, I'm going to get my voice heard, you know? But, you know, like Lawler said, you'll get one interview this year. And they never did it. <laughs> so he's like, I said I get one. This is the last show of the year. Well, technically next week is for them. So because they're behind a week. But still though, he, hey y'all you hear you hear ball swimmers, how many votes do my boys get on the rookie of the year voting? <laughs> I was like, wasn't that like during the summer Jeff Jarrett won the rookie of the year or something? Yeah, it was. So <laughs> He been saving. He been holding that in. Been waiting to use that line, hasn't he? <laughs> hey, he's hoping that he'll you know, he'll do that. And that'll start a uh, start a big money feud between Rough and Ready and Travis and Jared. <laughs> <laughs> oh man! Oh, oh. Okay. Um. <laughs> that just tickled me when he did that. <clears throat> um. Oh, where did my okay? So rough and ready, they jumped the Bruise Brothers. That didn't work out too fast. Um, no. Then one of the Bruise Brothers drop kicks one of rough and wreck. I, I can never, I always forget which one's which. And that was a horrible drop kick. Yeah, no, it was it was bad. It was one in the gut, one foot in the gut, one in the lower chest. And rough and ready's not tall, and I think he did on the shorter one on top of that. Yeah. Um. Then later, then a little, little basically did some arm work. They try to keep it simple. Then they did a tackle spot. Oh man, I actually <laughs> came out of my seat laughing. <laughs> they they both took bumps on the tackle spot. <laughs> so I, I have guys ask me to watch their matches sometimes, and <sighs> I always try to with my mask. If a double bump ever happens, I stop immediately <laughs> because it looks ridiculous. Now that that that's you know just anybody. The fact that the giant blue denim Bruce brother thought I believe Reddy was in the ring. I think it was. Who's the skinnier <laughs> one of Rough and Reddy? The fact that he thought, yeah, man, I'm going to take a bump. This makes sense. <laughs> this match was the green leading the green. It was not as bad. Rough and ready for job guys are not bad, but they could outwork the Bruce Brothers so much. Oh, in the <laughs> at one point, Reddy takes over Ron with a headlock takeover. Yeah, he did. He had a team with a headlock takeover, yeah. And I'm like, uh, what? This match, here's what they should, this, I don't, I put, 
Finally, he got. Oh, he gave one. One of them gave one of them a backdrop. Into the ropes. Yes. Oh my God! I thought he killed him. Yeah, Ruff took the backdrop. I don't know which twin gave it to Ruff. Yeah, but it was like yeah, ooh. about murdered him. I was like, and he rolled out after that. Six, six more inches, and he would have landed on his neck. Yeah, that was because, bad. Because his, his butt hit the ropes. Yeah. So six more inches, and it would have been all neck. Yeah, I was like, and he rolled out. I was like, man, that was, that could have been really, really, really bad. Then they get back in there, uh, and gets, puts him in a dominal stretch. Probably was like probably the best-looking thing he did all day. Well, right before that, he hit rough with a just murder clothesline. Yeah. And kicked out at one. But here's the thing. They didn't hit him with like three clotheslines. This yeah, one... He, not good ones. This one was good. I know. That's what I'm saying. The ones with the three before that were horrible. And this one... And look, like they were barely hit touching him. This one, he kill, He just he just lays it in there. <laughs> I was like... I was like, well, brother was expecting one of them light touching ones. He, he, go, he woke him up on this one. Uh, but he puts him up down the stretch, and then he rolls him up for the win. I'm thinking, whew. My notes on this was, this match, whoever booked this needs to be kicked in the nuts. Because, <laughs> I'm serious, This these guys are so green. They should have had them come in there, hit them with something, boom, 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 pin them out. They gave them way too much time. Um... Because they're so green, they it, nothing is rough and ready. But it's not their job to, to lead the people being pushed as stars. Yeah, their mate is just to get in there and take the bumps for them. Yeah, and like you know, th this is Memphis. This is a Crockett, right? So Crockett. Sometimes you'd have the competent workers who are the the journeymen who are there to build the stars. You know, the, 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 it's always been said like they're called carpenters because they help build the houses by. You know, making the stars look good. Yeah, this ain't that. <laughs> no, this these, is, Memphis this is supposed Memphis to be short. TV, none of these job guys are going to the house shows. Yeah, it's my thing. Is this should have been? A, it's Memphis. It's you know they're. Uh, Lord knows we've seen enough twenty-five to I don't know fifty-five second matches this year. This should have been a fifty-five second match because. They went out there and, and blew chunks on, on their interview segment. They needed a short match to get them over, you know, boom, boom, boom. Woo, that was fast, man. They just went there just, you know. No, they would just go three, three to four minutes of rough and ready and just look like a big old cow patty in the middle of the ring. Was, and, and I want to know who told them that an abdominal stretch roll-up would be an exciting finish. Whoever, whoever told him to go about five minutes. <laughs> well, and, and the thing is, so he didn't even, he, and Lance even called this out. Yeah, he did. He didn't have the abdominal stretch hook correctly. He didn't have the leg hook. So when he did the roll-up, you're rolling them up into like a banana split. Yeah. So he just kind of had him in a schoolboy. But it was still the best-looking thing that did. Oh, Lance, uh, so we had Lance covering it up. Uh, back, I think it was like the second clothesline. Lance even, Lance even said something about, uh, uh, the clothesline. I think he just he just uh, barely got him on that one. It was, it was a glancing blow or something like that. I was like, "Wow, Lance is even covering up for their horrible looking clotheslines." Yeah, I mean, Lance like, yeah, but when you get hit with a, even a glancing blow from somebody that big, yeah, Lance is trying, man. Yeah, he, he was. Really is, but it was. Oh, it was bad. I, you know what? I, I think the Bruce Brothers knew it was bad, 
because they got a clip of them walking out and they're just like there was nothing there was no yay us or anything it was just we're done we're going yeah but like I said ever put this match together it was bad uh they 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 shouldn't have been out there that long um I get that they're baby faces but they they shouldn't be doing abdominal stretch pins and stuff to win no I'm sorry if you're six foot six or whatever they are exactly yeah but they're they're so green, they're they're so sloppy, they're dangerous, and I put it, this match should have went a minute tops. <laughs> yeah. yeah, a minute tops. They they do some double slam and just pin the guy. But here's the thing. My here's my thing. Um, it's not their fault either. They're green. It's, oh no no not at all. They shouldn't be in the spot. Yeah. Yeah, like I said, they should have told them, okay, why don't you go out there and, you know, let them jump you, y'all reverse it, maybe hit a big double team right there, boom, that's it, you know? Be fired up. Double double backdrop, one brother, he gets out of there, double, you know, double something on the other one, and here we are. Yeah. That's what they should have done. And, you know, and but the crowd could, I mean, when you're green, that green, you, you got to hide it. They didn't want to hide it. So I don't know whoever's booking don't like them. Um, but my thing is, if... if I it, see where you can get booked in a corner with them. Because you've got these six-foot-six baby faces. How do you believably... Like, if you brought them in, how a normal person gets brought in? Doing jobs until they get competent, and then you take them off, repackage them, and bring them back. How do you do that with a six foot six guy? But it can be done. I mean, for God's sakes, I've seen Tully Blanchard, you know, slingshot suplex Ray Trailer when he was a job guy. Yeah. It can be done, but I can see where you're like, ah, oh, man, how do I do that? Well, just be creative. But you put them in there with good heels. Well, they're well. The house shows they're in, they're in there with RPM, so that's no problem. It's just these. That's why they these TV matches got to be short. Have to be. The, the RPM should have been there to tell them how to do a squash match. Somebody should have. So, whoever did it ain't. Yeah, they didn't do no justice. All right, so they cut the break. They come back to the desk and Lance. Um, he's thanking Randy Hales for filling in. And um, Lance, and this did, is where he acts like a papa bear. Yeah. When he goes to. <laughs> When he goes to uh, read off the results, he goes, hey, let's go over the results. And he puts the paper between them. Yeah. And he points to it like he sh- it's like it's like a grandfather teaching his grandchild to read. <laughs> it, it, it's both adorable and hilarious. Because <laughs> like, like, I guess, really did have a father-son relationship with Randy. Yeah. So, I mean, it's adorable in that effect, but it's hilarious yeah. just because he's just, he's babying Randy so much. Yeah. yeah. So Lance gives the results from today, then Lance signs off. Wishes everybody a Merry Christmas and all that jazz at the studio and the promotion. And then the tape cuts off. There's no, um, gra- no video or music to end us out. It just cuts off and we're done with night. 1987 Memphis TV. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. 
I'll let you finish. Go ahead. Sorry. Oh, no. You go ahead because I'm still debating. Okay. This show, if you would have had a 50-second Bruce Brother match, Mark Galeen in studio, I would say I would give it two thumbs up. But now having no Mark Galeen on there and having a five-minute Bruce Brother match of 50 seconds... It knocks it down to one thumbs up and almost a half. It's right at a half. So one up, one in the middle. I think yeah. I think I can get behind that. Yeah. Because um, I don't want to take away from the flow of the rest of the show and that awesome Jarrett and Guerrero match. Uh, so yeah, I, I, I think I, I, will, I will go with one and a half. If the show didn't flow as well, even with that match... It would have got knocked down to one, and the only thing keeping it there would have been that match. Yeah. But, man, that it's crazy how one match can ruin your feeling on a whole card, especially when it's the last one. Yeah. Yeah. You know something? One of the better shows we've had in a long time had no Dundee or no Lawler on it. It's not weird how that works. <laughs> No, not really. Uh, and, I, and I hate to say that because I personally know Jeff. I personally like Jeff, and Jeff's a hell of a promo. Well, he's just green. He's still learning. Yeah, yeah, it's 1987. Yeah, he's only been working a year and a half. Yeah. So, um, but that match, though. Oh, yeah. It, it took him a while to get the gift of Gab, but the gift of work he had. Oh, yeah. Definitely. Um,. Yeah, good show, flowed good. Um, we got a little, uh, we got actually quite a bit of time, but I just want to do a little um, thing since it's our last show. Kind of a little, I didn't think about this when I, earlier, but um, give kind of like a little rundown of of just off the top of your head of of what was what was your highlights of this year of '87. Ooh, you start because I'm gonna have to think back on the year that I'm mostly that I'm mostly blocked out. Okay. Um. Uh, one of my highlights was I loved it. Was the the Tony Falk, Tracy Smothers angle, where where Tracy had to be Tony's um, maid for a day or whatever, a week or whatever long it was. A little segment. I love this. I I remember it from watching back in '87. Uh. It was so funny. Um, uh, the um, 
that whole gimmick was was really I, I liked their little angle they had. Um, I got one for you. Uh, the return of Phil Hickerson. Oh my gosh! Yes. Uh, and you know we almost forget because he's been gone for so long that he was there. He was only there for like what three weeks. Yeah, it wasn't long, but man, it was tremendous. Um, and it actually made me become a fan of Phil Hickerson. Like I, I started seeing some of them. You told me about them a lot, and I started seeing some of them before he came on the show. And he's so funny and so just genuinely him. Right? He, yeah. he was never, never trying to be anybody else. Yeah, that three weeks Hickerson was on there was was is awesome. Um. I don't know if this was a highlight or a low light, but the many weeks of of Tojo using racial slurs. <laughs> it, it, was, it was a low light for society, but a highlight because it's hilarious. Yeah, because you look because it's you know 2020 and this is 87, and it's like, holy smokes, did he just say that? You know, so it was a highlight, but yeah, like yeah, so it's, it goes either way on that one, you know, because it's like I can't believe he just said that, you know. Oh, so that was, uh, um, Outlaw Don Bass. Oh, gosh. Yes. Tremendous. Um, just getting to see him. His shirts that we want every one of them. Oh, his shirts were excellent. Yeah. I I remember, I remember the, uh, the, I remember the, the, when they did the, the singing gimmick. I remember that. That was, and then I got to see it again. Oh, yeah. I walked around the show in Ringgold, Georgia, dressed like him. Do what? I, I had a pair of jeans and a, one of my collar and elbow t-shirts on, and I happened to have. I said, "Oh, when they were doing a, they were doing a lumberjack match, and they wanted everybody dressed like a lumberjack." And then they told me not to go out there, which was great. But I brought suspenders to dress like a lumberjack because mm-hmm. I was going to do the flannel shirt with suspenders over it. Mm-hmm. So then the rest of the day, I like at my gimmick table, I tuck in my collar and elbow shirt and have my suspenders on. Ah! I'm like, I'm Don Bass, look at me. <laughs> Did you have a big old cigar? <laughs> no, no, I didn't have a big old cigar or a cowboy hat to throw down, but <laughs> it was it was still fun times. I think if I ever manage, I, I might just dress like Don Bass and have a cigar. Remember the week you brought out the tracksuit? <laughs> that tracksuit jacket? <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah, the, the jacket that had been around since 1972. <laughs> You take an immaculate care of. Yeah, the brought the old tracksuit jacket from high school. <laughs> yeah, Don Don see Don Bass is so weird because he has so many gimmicks as well. Yes. You got he's that a right. cowboy that sings and he's got his airbrush t shirts and he's got a cowboy hat and he's got <laughs> a tracksuit jacket and a bandana. But it like it all works. Yeah, it's just him. in the uh I love, and then you can't never forget the boots with the Texas emblem, and he's from Greasy Corner, Arkansas. That—that's that's one of my favorite things in the world. <laughs> oh, that whole the whole Don Bass run was awesome. Um, I think I think I think I can like sum up a lot of them. It's just like guys I didn't realize were so entertaining, yeah. being so entertaining. I mean, before Hector jumped the shark, right? I knew Hector was an amazing wrestler. Yeah, but I'd never seen his like his how entertaining he could be yeah. on a promo. Um, I think one of the things that, like I said, I remember from back in the day watching it, but watching it again was realizing how good Pat Tanaka was. Yes. 
you know, I, you know, realized how, you know, like I said, you know, in 87, I was, you know, 15, 16 years old, didn't really realize, I wasn't really smart, so, looking at it now, it's like, I got to see how really good he was, and, you know, it, and how, how in the world Paul Diamond kept a physique like that working on Memphis Payoffs? <laughs> yeah, uh, oh, the Rock and Roll RPMs. Oh, yes. The Rock and Roll RPMs, because it, cause it's great, especially... <laughs> The great thing about them being with the Rockers, and I wish the Rockers held up their end of the promos, but it's like you've got the glam rock band and you've got the redneck southern rock band. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? Uh, it, it, and they're just, I, I, I love them because they just look so white trash. It's, it, it's especially that, Mike that, Davis. Yeah, Mike Davis was excellent. They just pulled it off so good. Yeah. You know, so yeah, it's the getting to see a lot of their work and like and seeing how good they were, seeing them lead the nasty boys by the nose to multiple good matches. Yes, yeah. Um, um, that was tremendous to watch. I, you know, not, I'll say it, nothing about Lawler at all. Like, I, I don't think I have a single highlight of Lawler at all no. from this season. No. You know what I mean? And it's also a season like, like where you get mad at Lawler because, you know, yes. the whole haircut thing. Yeah. Um, I, Dundee had some okay stuff, but then he'd go and be an idiot afterward. Yeah. yeah. It's true. Uh, seeing Rocky Johnson go into his boogie phase, that was pretty fun. <laughs> that, that was legit pretty fun. Uh, George Barnes, that was a highlight for me. Yes, oh, no, me too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. George Barnes coming in just running everybody through the mud. Just ra- old crusty, just this old crusty guy coming in. Just <laughs> he didn't even try to get new tights. He's like, I was the whatever Tigers with somebody years ago. Yeah, I mean, it just is. That, that was awesome. Um, the Hunter got to really see how good the Hunter was. Oh yes, God, I forgot about the Hunter. He's been gone so long. Yeah, he was. He was good and innovative for the time. And then I got to see how bad, um, oh, what was the guy's name? Alan West was. <laughs> oh, Jesus. See, I don't remember him being bad when I was young like that, but now it's like, oh, he was bad. Yeah. Oh, yeah, you're just like likable Jack guy. We like him. <laughs> yeah, uh, I'm sure there's a lot of stuff we're missing. I definitely don't ever want to see a uh, gimmick long month of gimmicked up matches with gimmicks and spin the wheels and all that garbage. That's the worst booking ever. That so yeah, uh, from now on, when everyone will tell me how, how you know, the storylines of Memphis are great, I'll go, I've watched six, you know, six weeks in a row of spin the wheel, make the deal, or weapons matches, or one of the weapons was a switch. <laughs> I really enjoyed seeing uh, Billy Travis. I've only known Billy Travis as a heel. So seeing his, you know, young white meat baby face days. Yeah, yeah. That was fun. And seeing how innovative he was, too, and watching him get mad at people when they messed up. Yeah. <laughs> that, that was perversely entertaining. Yeah, he would get mad and start, he'd start laying them in there on them job guys. <laughs> yeah, it was... Um, I'm sure we're missing a lot of good stuff, but that's just off the top of the head. That was probably the... There's um, been some terrible shows, but there's always stuff that we found to entertain us. Yeah. What, what, I 
mean, there was one show where the only thing positive we had was how Lance was leading people through promos. Yeah, yeah, we you really know, we we really got to see how good Lance was. Yeah, that's enough. Yeah, Lance really, like I said, you know, he gets all the, you know, people talk, but we really got to see how good Lance was carrying green guys during interviews and when they get lost and stuff and just, yeah, we saw got to see a whole nother side of how good Lance really was and uh, you know uh, we got to see Bam Bam Bigelow just murder people yeah yeah um we see a lot of good stuff um like I said I'm sure we're missing a bunch of it um and a lot of bad we've seen a lot a lot of bad but um but even some of that bad was at least perversely entertaining some of it yeah some of it was pretty funny um but uh the whole, but the I think the the main thing for me is how much they dropped the ball with the Lawler, Idol, and Rich. I think they could have really made they could have had sellouts a lot of weeks, but they just it was off and on too much. I think they really dropped the ball with it. Um, yeah, and I, I don't know if that had to do with scheduling of the guys or what. Like I, don't, you know, you you never know what they're working around with that. When the guys aren't there full time, you know, you got to think they're working elsewhere as well. Um, so I could see where that would be hard, but man, what could have been? You yeah. know what I mean? You always, with the with the benefit of hindsight, you can always be like, "This could have been better." Yeah, yeah, it could have been a lot better. But you know, we don't know. But I, like I said, I looked and I couldn't find them in working anywhere at the time. Rich would work, uh, I think, like Deep South every now and then at the time. I'm just saying, but they could have paid them enough money to be there on, you know, the TV Saturday mornings and so. You know what I'm saying? It, it, that they wanted to make it work, they could have. They just didn't. So, but overall, like I said, um, look back, you know, just off the top of our heads, there was some really good stuff on here. Yeah. There was some good stuff, and we and we had fun covering. I had fun learning new things. Yeah, I had a blast. Um, you know, I, I listen. I, I get to spend a couple hours each week, you know, shooting the breeze with you, learning new stuff about wrestling, and, you know, and then complaining about it if it's terrible. <laughs> so, and, and it's stuff that I probably wouldn't watch at least, uh, you know, in a row. Yeah. Uh, on a normal time, because like if I was watching it. You know, if it got if the episode got bad, I'd skip it or I'd go to something else. Yeah, me too. That's why I've been I've always been like that. If it gets too bad, I wouldn't watch it. So yeah. All right, so I think we need to go on to wrap this one up. Um. All right, guys. So if you're going to watch uh, before with us, before you hear our, us covering it again, it's YouTube channel Classic Wrestling. The match is Buddy Rogers versus Pat O'Connor from Kaminsky Park in Chicago, Illinois, June 30th, 1961. Yep. Well, folks, uh, we did 50 shows, and when we started this back in January, I, if I was a betting man, I would not. I would have betted it. This wouldn't have lasted 50 shows, especially what all everybody's been through this year. You know, um, just everything this whole year has just been chaotic. I got COVID and it really kicked my butt, me and my wife's butts. Um, no, you know, just everything, you know, personally going on, you know, everybody's life had to go a 360. So actually, I think it's helped too. 
to kind of get away from life and doing this little thing to watch a show and then review it and talk to you, you know, because uh, I think that's really helped some. You know, that's why I, I feel that way. It, it, like I say, it's actually helped me, I think, with everything in the world just in chaos. So, Oh, absolutely. During shutdown, during quarantine, it was some of the most miserable times. You know what I mean? But having... Uh, this has been, even though we've been, you know, we've had to switch days and stuff like that sometimes, having something that's routine, that's a bit of escapism, and I hope that we were able to provide that to some of you while you were stuck at home and you had a couple hours to kill to hear two guys just talk and go off on all sorts of side roads and everything and catch up and talk about wrestling because it's something we both love and enjoy that's what brought us together that's I, that's I, I never would have met Quentin if I was not in professional wrestling yep that's right that's why how we met <laughs> yeah so I mean it, it's something we both love um, if you're if you took a chance on this podcast that means you love it too um and you also probably have some time to kill to hear two guys complain about stuff. Uh, but we appreciate it. We appreciate anybody listening. Tell your friends about it. Tell, tell them we ain't that bad. Give us a try. We'll at least try to make you laugh, if nothing else. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's about it. All right, we got about a minute left, so uh, anything you want to add? Nothing from me, man. All right, I pretty much said all I had to. Well, show number 50 is done. Stick a fork in her, she's done. Thanks for listening. For Jeremiah Plunkett, Quint Charisma, hey, that's me. Like I said, thanks for listening. God bless. Bye-bye, everybody, and Happy New Year.